you know, we have a broker who's telling us, you know, trade outs are 10%, 20%. Like, look at this, there's all this growth here. But when we put it in our model, we don't actually observe something like that where the rents stay constant or, you know, growth isn't anywhere near what they have been quoting us. I'm Drew Brenneman, and this is the Rise and Invest podcast. I bought my first two properties as a 19-year-old with my own money that I earned from an online business I started in high school. I've now grown my portfolio from that first duplex to hundreds of millions of dollars of investment property. My goal with this show is to give you the resource I wanted when I first started out. Subscribe to our podcast where I break down real-life stories, tactics, strategies, and current market information you need to be a successful investor. Welcome back to another episode of the Rise and Invest podcast. Today's episode, we're going to jump into underwriting and different tools that we're using. I've had a lot of people ask me about what I've done for underwriting over the years, and especially you know, today and actual tools we're using to underwrite and analyze live deals. Uh, so that's what we're going to jump into today. Uh, with me is Evan Dillon. Welcome. Thanks for having me, Drew. It's good to be back on. Yep. So Evan's a uh, vice president at our firm and he's really done a ton for us for improving our models and underwriting and everything. So I want to have him on here to chime in as we go. Yeah. And, uh, it's good to join again. And yeah, um, you know, do have quite a bit of modeling experience, um, from the, from the get go, you know, getting involved in real estate, it was always something that I was very, very interested in. Um, and something that I always wanted to do, you know, just learn more and get better at it. Um, even through school, I took coding classes and statistic courses to see how could things like predictive analytics come into play or just um, coding classes where I can automate things. Um, and then, you know, also pairing that with significant experience um, underwriting deals. So, you know, before I was at uh, Rise Invest, I worked at an institutional private equity real estate shop and, um, you know, I was there for four years. Um, you know, close on like two and a half billion dollars worth of deals. Uh, so it's a lot of underwriting and, you know, maybe you hit on 10% of the deals that you do actually underwrite. So, um, you know, it's a lot of deals to get through. And, you know, I learned you know, a lot of the tricks to the trade in terms of um, improving analytical infrastructure to, um, you know, make pre- better predictions and then just, you know, uh, automate things to a point where we're, we're continuously condensing down the time it takes to underwrite a deal so we can spend more time on, you know, the important things like decision making and then the human input that goes into these models. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's something that you're, you know, you're passionate about comes naturally to you. I know we shot an episode earlier about your, uh, uh NCAA bracket optimization model. So I mean, if you yep. haven't checked that out, you know, go back, uh, take a listen to uh, watch that episode. So I was never heard of anything like it. So, <laughs> Um, yeah. And so, I mean, in my background in terms of underwriting is, is, is different, I guess, where I started out underwriting, you know, deals. This is when I was a teenager, you know, that I was going to buy, you know, two to four units. And, um, you know, I started out just, there was actually Robert Kiyosaki. He had a, uh, uh, on his, on some website, like a, a real estate cash flow calculator. Basically it was, you make a, it makes a pro forma, but you just type in the rents and then uh the expenses and then it calculates it for you tells you what your um cash on cash return would be mm-hmm. um so i was you know so i started out using that to get kind of going and see what, how 
cash flow positive these deals would be, what the returns would be. And then uh, after using that online calculator, just calculating and basically writing the numbers down on paper, you know, what are the rents and expenses and mm -hmm. figure out what my loan amortization would be and just calculating it on a yellow legal pad, you know, <laughs> and that, um, not stone and chisel. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. That, um, yeah. Cause when you were, yeah, you were, um, yeah, at that age, making this bracket optimization model in Excel or getting yeah. version one of that kind. <laughs> so, no, these, you know, these were like two to four unit deals. And really they were, you know, at that time. So it's my own money, too. So I'm not solving to like what's the net LP return, you know, on a three year hold. Like I'm not I'm trying to think is this the cash flow and the amount of loan uh, principal that I'm going to pay down every year? Is that a sufficient return for me? Mm hmm. And then that was one. And then the other thing that I realized real early on was you need to figure out how the market is valuing the property. Because I have heard people say, individual buyers, how I underwrite the deal is I want a X percent cash on cash return. That's our only metric. Mm -hmm. Well, but if you manage the property on your own and you have really low expenses, you could overpay for that property. Yep. And where So I, I figured that out, you know, uh, early on and then was wanted to have that dialed in you know i was buying you to in uh, madison wisconsin and it's like a 10 grosser multiplier market if it was a building where it wasn't on a, a boiler or just on one heating system that the landlord paid if it was on that then the grosser multiplier would be lower but you know i'd make sure i'm going in at you know a number that makes sense if the market's at a 10 obviously you want to go in lower than that if you can or buy a deal where you look at it and go, wow, once I move the rents up to where I think it would, I'll be, you know, way below a 10. So it's mm -hmm. not that different than what we were kind of doing now, except, um, you know, it wasn't using cap rate yet because that wasn't what people traded those deals on. Mm -hmm. So there was too much expense variation and, um, you know, it's only, only a two to four, you know, a lot of people are just valuing those just on their phone, basically like what are the rents times 12 times 10, you know, okay, here's yeah. what it's worth, you know? <laughs> and then, um, you know, after a while, you figure out you can multiply by 120. Skip, skip the step. I'm just kidding. But um, <laughs> anyway, so yeah, that. So yeah, I started out with that. And then obviously, as the deals got bigger, um, you know, for me, I would make a just a basic pro forma and then run it out, you know, for 10 years, but nothing too crazy. And then on those refinance deals that we did, where we refied out all the money that I've told you about a bunch, we just looked at those actually. And we were, um, we would, uh, not even figure out what's the IRR on them. It was, that wasn't our goal. What's our IRR? So what's the, um, you know, what's the return going to be over a certain number of years? We were just thinking, okay, we buy it now. And then once we get the rents to where we think they should be in the income, can, how much money can we refinance out? So we're actually just making like three or four pro formas was my underwriting mm -hmm. today. What's today's situation? What's it worth today? Cause I, I also still had the eye on the value obviously. And then how much can I refi out? And I mean, I remember passing on deals where the returns would have been, I bet, really high. But in year two, I could only refile like half my money. Mm -hmm. If you're just trying to turn over your own money or, you know, you have a limited amount from another person. Like if you do that deal, you only can refi half your money out. Now you're you're stuck. You can't get the next deal. So then I was, you know, I was pulling the trigger on deals where you look at me like, wow, if this and this happened, we could refile, you know, 120 mm percent, -hmm. you know, and then we do that, that deal. Um so yeah, that's so. Um, you know, that's kind of how things have gone for me over the years. And then obviously now that the whole um, we're not doing a lot of deals where we just buy and try to refi out all the money right away. 
Uh, so now we're using a more comprehensive model um, that we had that we thought was good. And then when you started, we, you know, implemented a way better one even. So, um, <laughs> yeah, you know, so that's that's kind of my my story there and how things have gone for for me underwriting. So just want to start with that, because I guess we're probably getting into a lot of stuff we're doing today. But if you're, you know, buying like a duplex or something, this is this is just kind of an episode you probably want to pull bits and pieces out. You know, things we'll get into, but we, you know, you don't, you don't necessarily need a lot of these features or things we'll talk about, um, and more just like the concepts are important where, um, you know, more so than just, um, you know, spending, uh, cause you don't want to, I guess on these smaller deals, you don't need to overthink it either. It's mm-hmm. kind of simple. Like I was saying, people value on their phone, like that's who you're up against. Yeah. So. And I think it's really interesting, um, you know, go from different size of building, different product, different market. Uh, the investors that you talk to or we talk to, they, it seems like there's always uh, a different metric that they really like where, you know, I want to have a year three stabilized cash on cash of X percent, or I'm a stabilized cap rate buyer and I want to hit a five stabilized cap rate if I were to just snap my fingers and bring the, the markets to market or do my renovation and everything's done today. Or some people are uh, you know, an unleveraged IRR buyer, which is just to say the IRR that you would achieve should you not put any debt on the property. Some people to leverage IRR, net to the LP IRR. So, I mean, there's a different, you know, a long list of metrics that people look to in examining, you know, the, the, the financial um, wherewithal for a, a potential investment. And it's good that we have a model that takes all of those things into account because, you know, when we do talk to investors, we can pinpoint to this, that or the other and say why or not this might be a good fit for uh, the investor. Right. You just want to jump into that then. Maybe let's talk about how our model works. The one reason today. Yeah. Just kind of take it from there. Yeah. And I think, you know, in underwriting a significant mass of of deals, I think. You know, one of the things that people really need to take into account, especially, you know, with our operation where, you know, we're heavily involved in Phoenix and we, you know, still do have like a little bit of a pulse on the, the, you know, the Chicago market. Um, You underwrite a lot of deals and to uh, feel like you're getting a um, risk adjusted return. That's a term, term that everyone likes to throw out risk adjusted, just meaning I'm getting an outsized return for the amount of risk that I'm inheriting with this property or this project or this particular strategy. Um, you need to underwrite a lot of deals to understand what's a, what's a good deal and what's a bad, what's a bad deal, what, what constitutes something that's, uh, you know, something that's worth uh, pursuing, really. Right. So, I mean, in thinking about that, you know, the key is really to automate as much as you can. And, you know, I think about something, you know, all the time, whereas I should be thinking about how long does it take me to underwrite a deal? Maybe it's two hours. Well, I should be actively thinking of things that I can do to condense that time period, um, you know, so that it, it lessens, you know, for the future. So can I get, you know, two hours of underwriting down to one hour. And then from one hour, can I get it down to 30 to 40 minutes? Um, 
so you know when thinking about that and setting up our in, like analytical in, uh, infrastructure you know it's a little bit of a, like a delayed gratification where you know we put the work up front to to make sure that we have the the analytical firepower to not be spending two three hours at a time underwriting a deal um we need to have the, the infrastructure in place to just populate the model and go and that leaves us you know more time to um, think about like the human input that's needed for a model where you know we observe there's rents occurring at this other property that we think is a comp so we need to identify that there's more time spent on decision making because we can rely on the existing model for accuracy um, and just consistency overall. Yeah. yeah, and one thing to jump in on that's, that would be interesting where over the years, a lot of people have also have asked me about like, how did you have the confidence to do X or Y or whatever, um, or even to buy the first deal? It wasn't, that wasn't just the first building I walked into. Yeah. You know, it was exactly to your point. And again, just, it was, more of just a gross rent multiplier, apples to apples thing. But when you looked at a lot of deals and you go, okay, I see this. Normally things trade for like a 10 GRM. Then you see someone pay a 12 and you go, wow, they really paid a lot. Then you just kind of keep watching. And then something comes through where it's below a 10 or it's a 10, but the rents are really low. And then you look, oh, in a year I could be at a high eight. Mm -hmm. You can be confident then. Yeah, you've looked at all these and you go, this is this makes a lot of sense. There's a also when you do that, there's a big spread. You could make mistakes then if you think, oh, I'll be I'll stabilize in the second year and I'll be at an eight something GRM markets a 10. And some people that are for whatever reason paying a 12 on some deals. I'll be in a great spot so then you can be confident. I mean, that's something, mm -hmm. too, that jumped out is what you're uh, that came to mind when you're saying what you're saying, because then why would we have the confidence to buy a certain deal? Maybe we underwrote 20 of those. And this one has the highest pick a metric, highest stabilized cap rate, highest, you know, IRR. And then, then it makes a lot of sense to move on that. Mm -hmm. You don't need to spend time like overthinking it. Yeah. And you know, you're not devoting time to uh, tedious tasks that, you know, you have to do over and over again, like cleaning up a rent roll or cleaning up a T12 or, you know, assigning a particular renovation or business plan to the property and having to go, you know, unit by unit understanding, you know, the current finishes and things like that. You know, we have a model that's built to streamline much of that process for us so that we're not dedicating our time to, you know, mundane tasks that, you know, would normally take a few hours if we were just to do it by itself, we have the infrastructure so that it does it automatically, it does it seamlessly. We can spend more time on decision-making, human input, and we can be, in, you know, rest assured yeah. that there's more accuracy, there's more consistency. Um, and I mean, you know, just to elaborate on that point, you know, one of the things that our model does is that it does have that advanced, you know, data integration capability. Um, so, you know, I talked about like cleaning up a rent roll, cleaning up a T12. Uh, we utilize a service called Red IQ. Um, which, let's just back up. So if someone's new to this, they're not going to maybe know what cleaning up means even. So what's like a common thing people are spending a lot of time on with cleaning up? What is that? 
like exactly mean? Yeah. So, um, you know, uh, when you uh, receive a listing or you're underwriting property, it's pretty much the standard deliverables that you'll get to, you know, inform your decision and just build a model. You're going to get two things basically, um, which is a rent roll, which is a, a schedule of all the rents that are in place by tenant, by floor plan. And you know, what's, what's their lease start date? What's their lease expiration date? When did they move in? What are their other charges? Um, and then there's a T12, which is trailing 12 months of financials. Um, an income statement. Yeah, an income statement. Um, and you know, a lot of the time when you get these types of files, uh, the data just comes in a very unorganized fashion where it's not readily usable. Um, so, you know, a rent roll, for example, um, you know, you might have rent charges, um, listed downward and by unit. Um, but the, the, the order in which those rent charges appear aren't consistent or there's not, you know, the same amount. So let's say I'm paying, you know, my gross rent. Um, I receive some type of concession. I have a pet, so I pay pet rent. I have, you know, pay for valet trash or something like that. So, you know, there can be all these different charge codes that, uh, you know, I can't easily manipulate the data that exists in the rent roll. Um, can also get sent as a PDF instead of in Excel. So now we're just looking at, you know, because the old way is you're just looking at the numbers and go, geez, I got all these different floor plans and charges and I have this PDF. I need to now somehow get it into Excel. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then same thing with, uh, you know, a trailing 12 uh, financial statement, you know, um, you might get a Excel, an Excel file that's 100, 200 rows long where, um, you know, everything's, you know, from replacing the blinds on the the windows to replacing locks to just, you know, your office expense and what it takes to um, market the property. It's all, uh, you know, very scattered, you know, it's, it's usually not in like a, uh, comes in a version where like those expenses are condensed in, you know, something that we can just call like a, an umbrella expense, like repairs and maintenance. What does it cost to market the property um, and list these units online? What does it cost to, um, you know, uh, assume that there's one or two people who work at the property or not are on the payroll and work on site. Um, so, you know, that's something that we do for the T12 is where we want to clean up the data so that we can organize it and standardize it in a fashion where it can flow freely through the model. Right. And two, even, even if you, we got sent a, a very nicely organized tr- set of trailing financials, it might be organized differently than your model setup, or you're used mm-hmm. to having the same expense categories in, in your model. And then they have things in different categories. Mm-hmm. You know, one, like one thing on a, just a random example on like a Freddie Mac loan, they have their trash. They move it to repairs and maintenance where, you know, other people have that as a utility. Yep. You know, some people it's a contract, like what is it, you know? So it's these <laughs> yeah. things where, you know, and it's, as long as it's accounted for, I don't, I don't know who's to say what the right category is even, but it's, you want to be able to compare apples to apples. So then when you get a deal that that owner has the trash in contract services and you go, Oh wow, what's the contract so high? Well, maybe you were just looking at a deal where it was in utilities or, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, in, in repairs, that's why, mm-hmm. you know, and then, so then this way is this red IQ service is a way that it can scan the PDF or file and you can 
rather quickly organize it and then get it the way you want. Yeah. It eventually learns what you're picking too to speed it up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, yeah, so, it, you know, it's a great service where you can just upload the rent roll file, upload the T12 file, and it'll clean it for you. The, the thing, though, is that just having that by itself isn't necessarily enough because, you know, I, I can export that file into, you know, Excel file and then it's it's readily available. It's standardized. But, you know, most of the time, you know, that data might exist elsewhere. You know, maybe it's, it's not included in the model or if I do integrate it into a model, I'm spending time, you know, linking cells to reference what the repairs and maintenance line item was, or I'm linking these cells to reference directly to the rent roll. Whereas, you know, the way that our model is set up as of right now is it has that data integration where we export those files from Red IQ, and then there's almost like a, a data import um, where uh, in our underwriting model, we can just copy and paste those specific files into our model and then everything flows freely and automatically you don't have to link any cells you don't have to do any of this other you know mundane tasks or tedious tasks where i have to make sure that the information is presented properly everything just comes into the model and it's good to go download our 100 plus page passive investing guidebook today at riseinvest.com downloads Accredited investors can sign up for our multifamily investment opportunities by hitting the invest now button on our website. Now back to the show. And in terms of specifically, and actually before I get into that, Red IQ, something like this, this would make sense where if you're buying buildings that I would say are consistently maybe over 30 units or you're getting into 100 unit buildings, I, it might be overkill if your biggest deal is going to be a 20 unit. Mm-hmm. you know, cause it's not free to have the service and then you need to have your model set up that way. Cause I'd say, you know, a lot of the earlier deals I did in Chicago, they were five to eight units and yep. there's no, you can, you can do the same thing Red IQ was doing just in that size building, just with your eyes and line it up and move it pretty fast. It wasn't, you never get sent anything that's 200 lines or whatever it would be on some of these bigger deals. Yeah. So then that just to point that out where, but once you get into these larger deals, you could spend, what would feel like a whole day cleaning up a rent roll in a T12 if it's, you know, a 200 unit building and they're using all these different categories and have all this other income to account for and uh, utility billbacks and all these things that then you could spend, you know, half your day just getting that in a usable format. Yep. <laughs> so that and um, so that, uh, you know, that just to point that out. And then, too, I think, um, you know, kind of where it makes would be interesting to hear like so. In our model, the information comes in from Red IQ, but how does it actually come into the model? And then how is it looking up that? Yeah. Uh, so the way it works is that we import that rent roll or T12 file. Um, it's always going to be a standard way of importing it, where I'll name that specific tab of the Excel rent roll or whatever. Yeah. And there is another tab that is just directly linking to, it's looking for a tabbed, tab named rent roll. And it'll only link to a tab named rent roll. And if there's no tab that exists in the model, it'll just be zeros or NAs or errors or whatever it is. But once that uh, 
once that tab is integrated into our model, it, it sends the data to just this one other tab that just references everything from that tab that's named rent roll or T12. Right. Um, but, you know, from there, you know, we have, you know, a way of now, now all that rent roll data is in our model exists. We didn't spend any other time like cleaning it up or linking cells or anything. Um, automatically, it'll bifurcate uh, each unit by floor plan um, where we can uh, visualize the average rent um, of leases signed by any given month, by any given floor plan, by any given renovation status. Um, so, you know, a lot of people might uh, be, you know, spending time on like trying to think of like what unit is what or, you know, not have something where I can actually see the trends that exist from, let's say, a particular unit where, uh, you know, we have an average rent that was signed for any given month. There's no way of visualizing yeah. that. So that's something that's built into our model. So, you know, and that's particularly, you know, that's the reason why we were drawn to Phoenix where, um, you know, all these other markets that we were looking into, we would have that same feature where we could see the average rent that was signed by floor plan by month. And, you know, we have a broker who's telling us, you know, trade outs are 10%, 20%. Like, look at this, there's all this growth here. But when we put it in our model, we don't actually observe something like that where right. the rents stay constant or, you know, growth isn't anywhere near what they have been quoting us. Um, so, you know, that's great for identifying trends. And then, you know, the flip side of that is that, you know, let's say it's a value add type deal where we're doing cosmetic renovations for um, our property. It's the it's the same deal where we can bifurcate, um, you know, unit type by unit type by renovation plan or sorry, renovation status. And we can assign a particular renovation plan by each unit and assign a premium for that particular unit. Whereas, you know, uh, other models might just suggest that let's just use a total weighted average. I'm going to assume 15000 to spend per unit. I'm going to get on average a, a rent premium of $200. But the thing with that is, you know, when you look into the market and, you know, uh, dig into like what a renovated studio unit with a washer dryer would go for, a renovated one bed um, with a washer dryer, uh, you know, having that bifurcated data it, it leads to the you know our projections being much more f refined much more granular um so we can like actually project you know the rent by you know given right. unit type we're actually calculating how many units would be renovated and what the rent would be instead of doing well okay that this, this percent mm -hmm. is done times this you know weighted average rental amount and yeah that's our total where we're just it's uh, almost like an estimate. Yeah. Underwriting like that. And just to kind of paint a picture on the, the rent tab that Evan's talking about, it's, you know, just imagine all the unit types. You know, if it's a big building, there might be different types of one beds, different floor plans or renovation status. That just, that means how far, uh, like how nice, how much they've been renovated. So you could walk into a deal where all the one beds, let's say, are renovated, but maybe... Uh, maybe 10 aren't renovated at all. So then you have 10 that are just, I'll call it classic. So just the original finish, 10 that are renovated. And then maybe out of those 
10, like five have in-unit laundry, five don't. So -hmm. then you can make those three different types of one beds with a renovated, unrenovated, and then a renovated with laundry. And then you can visualize kind of going from left to right uh, chronologically what leases have been signed on those different unit types Mm because you can code all this as it comes in the model. And then... And then you see the the trend or what's the most recently signed or, um, you know, just all the leases that were signed in the last 12 months on by unit type. So that's, yeah, to Evan's point. And then on a, a trade out, that's just the rental increase on a new lease for, compared to the old lease. So then, right, we're told these things where these trade outs are way up. Then you look at it actually mapped out and you, you like laugh to yourself because it's like, no, they just picked that one unit mm-hmm. with this huge trade out. But that's because the unit was under rented before yeah you know so we're gonna publicize that but then that's interesting on the two beds you didn't get any 10 percent trade outs yeah yeah so then that uh but when you know when you look at some of these markets though you know especially and we talk a lot about phoenix and it's happening in other places but there you see trade outs and it's you know 20 percent plus or every every unit in every building it feels like is up yeah it's on the whole thing where the trend is so obvious and in a lot of markets, you underwrite a, a deal in like a normal place and it's it's the trend is up, but it's not like as pronounced where it's literally every unit every month as far as this goes back. Correct. Yeah. yeah. So then that that's been useful. And then how um, when how does that information actually flow through the model? Because I know I mean, I guess and also too as a housekeeping thing. I know how this works. I'm just asking the questions to like, you know, have the conversation. We have no clue what's going on. Yeah. So yeah, I've always wondered how it works. So, you know, um, no. So obviously I know how it works and, but it's, you know, and I guess I haven't even really learned how to ask a question where it's not like, uh, like as if I don't know, you know, yeah. I mean, it's a skill I need to pick up, but yeah. Um, um, so, you know, the, the way the, the rent roll comes through is it's, you know, organized in a way that's standardized for every single model. So when we have ten uh, tabs like such as the rent analysis tab, um, it's just cleaned up and ready to go, and the information flows uh, freely freely through it. Um, but it, it uses a variety of V lookups, H lookups, where um, that's just an Excel function where basically I'm looking for an array, and for X value I want it to look up this value. Yeah. Um, so, you know, when doing that, it's a combination of those functions where I can go back and say, I want to do a VLOOKUP for this unit type in particular. And then in addition to that, I want to do another VLOOKUP or HLOOKUP for all the leases that were signed in this given month. And so I can uh, narrow down the data to find, you know, how many leases were signed for that floor plan in any given month and what was the average rent that was signed uh, by that unit type for any given month. Um, so that, that's, you know, that's how it works. Right. Um, I wouldn't say it's rocket science, but, you know, it's it's something that's, you know, extremely valuable. Yeah. And if you're not, if you haven't used Excel a ton, I mean, and or, you know, if you got uh, lost there by the time we got to the <laughs> word array, it's basically just look, it tells where to look. You know, it says, OK, this is the unit name we're looking for. And then when the lease is signed, pull the value. Mm -hmm. That's why. So we're not manually finding things or linking things together because it knows, okay, when you see this word or uh, unit type appear, then give me all the values and that are, you know, that pop out for rent. Mm -hmm. So it's not. That's why we talk about flowing through the model. The whole thing's set up where it just 
looks up values at different stages and the information populates. Yep. So that that's what we're talking about on that. Well, nice. Well, then what you just want to keep taking us through the model or talk more about underwriting or what do you think? Yeah. And like, I mean, you know, there's different functions that just make the, you know, help make the, the model more accurate. Um, you know, namely um, that same rent roll data, it flows through what we'll call like a turnover analysis tab where essentially, you know, it, it functions similar to similarly, similarly to, uh, you know, the average rent that was signed um, by floor plan by month where, you know, we in this turnover analysis tab, we can actually identify, you know, how many trade outs we expect to occur in an, any given month. What's the average rent of those in place um, leases that were signed and are rolling over? What's the market rent for those leases um, that are expiring? And then what what rent do we want to uh, ultimately like renew at? Right. Um, and then you know we can also layer in uh, the premiums that we achieve during like a renovation program or assign you know increases to just the in place rents. So just say you know I'm turning over these eight units for I'm going to assume um, just renew and I'm just going to increase their whatever they had by. 5% or whatever number, but the, you know, the information, uh, it flows, you know, yeah. through it like that as well. Well, great. I think we covered plenty on the rent analysis tab. So let's just maybe run through quickly. What happens from there in our model? Yeah. So all the, the information from, you know, which helps us to help, you know, set our rents, it flows through a pro forma, um, an 11 year pro forma, which is basically a schedule of your rents, um, your other income items and your expenses. And all that amounts to what we'll call net operating income or just, you know, your total income minus your operating expenses. So we can plot that out year by year for 11 years. Um, and following that, that'll flow through a return summary page whereby we can input, you know, the exact value for which we're acquiring the property and then assume I'm going to hold this thing for three, five, 10 years, whatever it might be. Um, and then I can project, uh, you know, a series of different returns, whether it's an IRR, um, uh, an equity multiple, uh, leveraged IRR, so I'm assuming debt, um, a leveraged equity multiple, stabilized cap rate. Um, so that helps us, you know, it gives us metrics to follow and determine like what's a good a, a good investment. Um, something that I think is important to think about then and this, this I think should be in uh, potentially any model at a certain point, you know, is buildings, because once you do this a lot, you'll see you almost have the pro formas, depending on who's using it, they'll be different on the same building. Like a lender would make a pro forma on the building. And let's say in a market where the vacancy rate is 3%, buyers are going to assume usually 3% vacancy. Mm-hmm. But a lender is going to assume usually on a apartment building a minimum of five. You know, if the market's uh, higher than 5% vacancy, they'll assume more. So then one thing that I wanted, that I built in my, you know, earlier models was just different ways to look at the deal. Um, Maybe you have a pro forma that would be just for cash flow. That's the full expenses. And we'll say, like, if you think if the market is 3% vacancy, then it's got your 3% vacancy in it. And that would be a good 
performer to use and then run out over time like you were talking about in a 10 or 11 year performer and see what's my cash flow going to be. Mm-hmm. But something that I think people really need to be aware of as I keep doing more deals or bigger deals or you start refining your underwriting, the lender is not going to use that cash flow pro forma. They're going to make their adjustments. And if you can figure out what adjustments they make, then you should make a pro forma that would then solve to a lender, let's call it net operating income, which is the bottom number on the pro forma. And then you can back into what loan you can get approved for. So like in our model, a feature that we added was where we're we're doing just that. We're saying, here are the adjustments the lender makes. And then now we can solve using a bunch of different uh, you know, limiting constraints, a debt service coverage ratio, loan to value, debt yield, all these things that then help us go, okay, when we talk to a lender, now it's a different conversation. We're not saying it's a 22 IRR. We're saying, mm-hmm. hey, it's a seven debt yield in year three. Yeah. And they're getting excited. So, you know, that's that's something that as you uh, do more, you'll see that. And then um, also when you you might use a different program for value in it, like let's say you're modeling your deal out, but then you're in a market where the property taxes change upon sale. Maybe you're going to need a way to maybe adjust for that because you're going to run your pro forma and go, OK, great, I'll sell it at whatever cap rate at the end. But that's not the pro forma the buyers are going to use anymore because mm-hmm. they're going to say, I need to up the taxes when I buy because now they're going to adjust to the sale price or whatever they do in your market. Mm-hmm. So that's something where um, that I've found extremely helpful because, again, if you're going to just use one pro forma, uh, maybe if it's your cash flow one, you're going to sell it for too much or not enough, depending on what the assumptions are. And then you send that, you know, the one you estimate your cash flow with to the lender. And they're going to go, oh, look at this. The guy has the too low property taxes in here because they're using the, you know, the real property tax number where a lot of times a lender, they'll have like a minimum number that they will size to, you know, like on a agency loan. I think they're limited to an appraiser estimate or the actual whatever is higher is what they'll use. Mm -hmm. So, you know, uh, where then you need to know that where then, okay, I'm buying this deal. They're going to move my taxes up potentially and then uh, on their performa and then use a higher vacancy. So that's stuff that, you know, I've figured over the years we've added to our model, but you could even incorporate that just on a more basic level. Like you're buying a two unit. This is basically what I was doing. I was going, my valuation pro forma is my 10 GRM. And then, uh, um, and I, the reason I stopped talking, that's funny. You know, I said we calculate that on our phone. This is before you could have like, had a calculator on your phone. That's funny. I just realized that. So you would have to do it on your calculator. And then, um, you know, and then your cash flow on that would be like the thing I was using the online calculator for actually doing the math on, on the paper. Mm-hmm. And I'm still more or less doing a higher powered version of that, you know, today or we are. Yeah. So uh, that's something, too, that I think would make sense to add into a model or consider when underwriting. I think, too, one thing and this this applies whether you're dealing with a, you know, a large deal, small deal, how advanced you are is I think on a lot of these line items, I mean, like payroll or utilities. I mean, don't be afraid to make an actual budget, because if you if you know what you're doing in time, you kind of fall into these like per unit. Mm-hmm. kind of guidelines or things that people typically do or you see. Uh, but then, you know, it's really important to check that against what reality might be. Yeah. Like if you just use a certain payroll per unit number, when was the last time you actually made a budget showing all the payroll costs and like check that? Yeah. And if you're brand new, well, that's how you could get your payroll number anyways. 
And if you're not brand new and you're using that, it's a lot, maybe your, your investor is going to go, how'd you come up with that number? And it might not be smart to go, well, I don't know. Everyone uses, you know, 1400 a unit in that area. If you can give them a budget, they'll go, okay, well, that's a well-supported number. There's yeah. No more questions. Yeah. And uh, yeah. And our, our model, uh, it accounts for that where we can get as granular as we like, and we can have these, uh, you know, an umbrella expenses that encompass, you know, everything that might be related to it. Let's say payroll where I want to account for the salaries of my employees, uh, the benefits, the bonuses, um, payroll tax, insurance, things like that. So I can, you know, uh, get more granular and list those actual expenses. And, you know, I think a, a lot of the time when someone is just trying to understand the market for the first time, you know, they, they would like to just take the rent roll or sorry, the T12 for what it's worth. So, you know, you might see $2,000 per unit spent on payroll for, let's say, uh, a hundred unit building. And you start to dig into that and see that, okay, maybe there's this family that's been operating the building. You know, they're not a, you know, fully integrated, like a uh, property management company that has 10,000 units under management and they run it efficiently. You know, maybe they just, they run the property the way, the way they, way they want to. They have four people on the payroll when there should only be two people. So, um, you know, that, that's something to, to really account for when you're trying to understand a market where don't, don't just take what the T12 is telling you. You really need to understand the nuances to these expenses and get granular just as you uh, suggest. Well, and oftentimes the T, you know, your example was a T12 with a high number. Usually more often you'll see a T, uh, you know, trailing financials where the numbers are low, Mm -hmm. you know, compared to what's actually going on. And that's one, you know, advantage. Once you actually get active in a market, you know, you know what the costs really are because you have real buildings you own and can look at where when you're just kind of starting out looking at a place, a lot of times people sell the trailing financials there, you know, things, if anything was like a one-time expense, you know, let's say they repaint it, they repaint the hallways every year. Mm-hmm. Well, when you're selling, a lot of people go, oh yeah, that, you don't really do that every year. Let's move that below the NOI. Like it's yeah. like a CapEx kind of thing we don't need to include, you know, but then when you, so yeah, usually you're, um, you know, you're making adjustments up, I feel like is kind of what is like a rule of thumb where it's not you know, typical where you're going to see something where you go, okay, we'll be able to cut this. That's a nice opportunity where you'll see that sometimes, but it's usually more the other way where you're getting sent a financial that's, you know, kind of thinned out and you need to be comparing that against other deals you saw, other deals you own, mm-hmm. you know, what people were saying in the market. Cool. So I think that's probably plenty on our, on our model then on how that, that works. Thanks for joining us on the Rise and Invest podcast. Please be sure to hit that subscribe button on YouTube or wherever you enjoy your podcast. If you'd like to dive even deeper into real estate investing, check out our company's website, riseinvest.com, where we have numerous free resources and information that can help both active and passive real estate investors. Our 100-plus page passive investing guidebook, our trends report, and our blog are all available on our website. If you are an accredited investor, you can get started today as a passive investor in our multifamily investment opportunities by hitting the Invest Now button on our website, The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of Drew Brenneman and guests as of the date of recording and do not purport to reflect the views or opinions of Rise Invest Holdings LLC and its subsidiaries.
The views and opinions are provided for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon or deemed as investment or tax advice or an offer to buy or sell securities. And the speaker cannot be held responsible for any direct or incidental loss incurred by applying any of the information offered.